All right, you sockdologizing old man traps. Today we are talking about the Lincoln assassination. Now, now, now. Not five, not four, not two, just three. The rail splitter, axe in hand, looking out at a frontier of hope and possibility. In excellent to each other. Party on, dudes! Welcome to the Rail Splitter, the Abraham Lincoln Podcast. My name is Jeremy. With me is Nick. Hello, everyone in the world, the galaxy. <laughs> and Mary. Hey, fellow Rail Splitters. All right, so we managed to avoid it for... 31 this is our 32nd episode for 31 episodes we managed to talk about everything we could think of (laughs) um and bring in we even brought star wars in we talked about all kinds of stuff trying desperately to avoid talking about the day that abraham lincoln died and the assassination but we've caved many of our listeners have asked for assassination coverage it is obviously an interesting topic even though it's sad So today we are going to talk about the Abraham Lincoln assassination from April of 1865, Um, and we're actually going to talk about it again next week, so we're going to kind of do a double episode in a way. Uh, We'll actually have a guest on next week, Uh, but we are going to talk about the assassination, but first, Rail Splitter Nick, Rail Splitter Mary, anything going on with you this week or anything in the world of Abraham Lincoln that is worth talking about that came across your desk? So is this like the last two episodes of the Rail Splitter? It is not. That's actually a good... Uh, thank you for bringing that up, Nick. It is important that people know we're not a sequential podcast. So we are not taking you through Lincoln's life. If you've listened to any of our episodes, you've probably gathered that very easily or very early. Uh, these are not the last two episodes. And they're probably not even the last two episodes on the assassination that we're going to do. Because we are not a chronological podcast. We jump around all over the place. Very good point to be made, Nick. Yeah, we just thought since, you know, the holidays are over, we're in the middle of winter, it's already depressing. Let's just talk about the assassination. Man, (laughs) a little bit of a downer. Uh, I actually, it's kind of like, you know, I think we talked about this last week. It's kind of a slow news cycle. I have not really seen a whole lot of Lincoln stuff come across the news feeds at all. Um I really, I think the last real prominent news story was the uh, Hall of Presidents edition of the current president. Uh, and I will say that the memes that have come from that are amazing with Lincoln, <laughs> Lincoln staring down the current occupant yeah. of the White House. It's been great. Well, there was one news story that I came across that it was about there was a rare Lincoln funeral flower discovered at the Will County historical museum which i think is in illinois it is that's right i did see that come across um so when i came across it um when i was away for the weekend um when i was checking just to see if anything interesting had come out or whatever and then this showed up and anyway they're not actually putting it on display apparently it's going to be on display for one day um and it was discovered um, when this lady was going through these boxes and she found um this like it was a looks like here contain it was a gold ribbon that contained a single faded flower and she took it to uh the presidential library and museum and had it looked at by james cornelius and he said that it is definitely the real deal and is a great find and it does resemble other items apparently that are that are part of the museum collection so I thought that was a kind of cool find. Yeah, no, that's look, yeah, and it's a fits right into our uh, topic this week for mm-hmm. sure. So that is a cool find, and it's legit when Doctor Cornelius gives it the stamp yep. of approval. Yes. <laughs> yes, that guy is the number one stud in the Lincoln world. I will say. <laughs> Shout out to you, Doctor Cornelius, there my number one stud there in the Lincoln go. world. Among many, among many, Ronald White, Michael Burlingame, we mean no no offense, no disrespect. Um, If you ain't first, you're last. Well, (laughs) 
I don't really mean that. I don't really mean that. Yeah. No. I. Uh, yeah. That's cool. So, Mary, uh, you because that wouldn't be fair to you guys being second and third rail splitters. That's, that's that is true. We we have yet to get a review with hashtag team any listen any of the yeah. rail splitters. Although, um, I'm sure many people have considered putting hashtag. Hashtag Team Nick in their reviews. Yeah. Uh, Mary, you went to Ohio. You were stateside for a little bit uh, this yes, week. Tell us about that. I was. Um, so I went to Ohio to visit some friends of mine in Canton. And on Friday, my one friend and I, um, it's actually his, he is Mr. Lincoln on Twitter. It's my friend Jeff. So um, he's at Mr. Lincoln, if I'm sure many of our listeners already follow him. But anyway, we went down to this place called the Warther Museum. And it's uh, what it is, is it's a collection of carvings by Ernest Warther. And he um, was also an admirer of Abraham Lincoln. So it's not necessarily like an Abraham related museum, but there is stuff there to do with him. And um, so he carved a lot of his items out of there's when he first started, it was out of like, you know, there was wood, bone, um, and then he got into like ebony and then ivory. And what you have to tell yourself when you're there is this is before the days that ivory was illegal to import and all that. So he was carving the items at a very different time than today. Um, but what I saw there, which was my favorite thing, um, and it is absolutely stunning and amazing. And if you ever get the chance to go see it, I highly recommend it. Um, there is a funeral train there. He did a carving of the Lincoln funeral train. Uh, it is eight feet long and it's carved mainly from black ebony and trimmed with ivory and pearl. And it is a stunning, amazing, beautiful piece of work. And he began carving the train on the 99th anniversary of Lincoln's death and he completed it on the 100th. So it took him a full year. And when you see the detail in it, um, you understand why. And like, it's not just the train itself, but he's got, he carved stuff inside the train he had Lincoln in the casket in carved inside the train and other details as well, like a water jug in the kitchen area that you can look in and see. And I've posted some photos of it on um, social media, but I'm sure we can post some once we get the episode done and I'll, I can, um, I'll tweet them out again. Um, and there's other Lincoln related items there. There was uh, some canes with Lincoln's head on the top, which were in a way kind of, I was like, kind of odd but cool um there was a carving of one of the other locomotives that pulled the train called the nashville he had a carving of the bixby letter that he did and he also had, like there was books about lincoln on display from um ernest werther's own personal library and another thing i thought was cool was when you can actually go in the workshop where he did all these carvings he has a picture of abraham lincoln on the wall and i thought that was really cool and I think he was inspired by him, kind of the self-made man thing. Um, and there was also actually a carving there of the general, which is a locomotive of the Civil War. So the whole museum was really cool to see. But what, like, my favorite thing was obviously, like, the Lincoln funeral train. It was so cool to see it. Yeah, and actually the funeral train is a pretty fascinating piece of history, uh, if you read about it. Um James Swanson, who uh, wrote about the assassination and its aftermath, uh, wrote a whole book kind of on that train specifically. It's mm -hmm. really, really fascinating. Um, <clears throat> and if you're a, a trivia person, a commonly asked trivia question is, uh, which future president uh, watched uh, the Abraham Lincoln funeral train pass through New York City? And I know it. I know All it. Right, go for it. Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt is correct. Yeah. So Teddy, yeah, a, a oh, very yeah. young Teddy Roosevelt. So <laughs> that's kind of a commonly asked trivia question. But uh, yeah, no, the Warther Museum, W A R T H E R, which is actually it looks like in Dover, Ohio. Yeah. Um, sounds like a pretty cool place. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm sure Rail Splitter Nation is probably excited to hear about Lincoln tourism that's not in Illinois, since that's what we yeah, talk about. Yeah. And it wasn't really like Lincoln related, but, you know, for two Lincoln geeks, like, when we went to see it on Saturday, um, my friend had been there quite a few times before. Um, but you know, for me to see it, like that's like when you walk into the room where it is, like it's in the center of the room and it's just this beautiful carving. Um, and then there was some like civil war items on display too. Like they had some like guns from the civil war and some other memorabilia. 
there as well. Um, but no, so I had like if you're ever in the area of Dover, Ohio, go see it. It is like this kind of unknown gem um, in in the area, and they're just absolutely beautiful carvings that he's got there. You know, and that's that's always something that fascinates me. Like Lincoln tends to pop up places where mm -hmm. you, know, you go to other museums. Well, like Nick and I went to the Art Institute of Chicago and managed to find Lincoln three or four different spots. Um, you know, obviously this is a little bit more, uh, you know, on a higher scale as far as uh, the uh, frequency of, of Abraham Lincoln, but uh, it's very difficult to go to any museum in the United States and not see yep. Lincoln's presence um, or not feel Lincoln's presence very much. So, yeah, um, that's uh, definitely a place to go uh, if you're in the area of Canton, Ohio and you know, I, don't, I wonder if Abraham Lincoln's anywhere in the Football Hall of Fame. Probably not. That may be one museum that may, you may, I may have already eaten my words on finding Lincoln in museums. He's probably not in the Football Hall of Fame, although he is, Nick, in the Wrestling Hall of Fame. We do know that. That is a true story. Yeah. That is a fact, Jack. All right. So uh, we did manage to avoid it for 31 episodes, but here we are pledged to talk about the assassination on April 14th of 1865. Uh, there's quite a lot to talk about. Um, this is going to be more of a general episode where we kind of, in the rail splitter style, just chat about things that we find interesting about the assassination. Uh, we'll get into a little bit more detail perhaps next week uh, when we bring on our guest who we'll talk about at the end of the show this week. Um, and then, of course, down the road we'll talk I'm sure we'll have an episode on the funeral train. We'll probably have a few episodes on John Wilkes Booth uh, and you know his experience after the assassination, his life leading up to the assassination. Um, I have read a biography of his. Um, his family's obviously pretty intriguing as well. Uh, but today we're just going to kind of generally talk about the assassination and uh, things we find interesting and just kind of take you through a little bit of the history of it um so i can turn it over to either one of our fellow rail splitters if you want to start with just some interesting background information maybe that you found interesting kind of leading up to this show on the assassination i always kind of think it's good to set the stage on like where the civil war was at that point mm -hmm. and then so i mean the civil war is pretty much just about wrapped up i mean it's april 3rd so the assassination the the shooting takes place april 14th and april 3rd richmond had fallen um lincoln showed up i i don't know if it was the third or the fourth uh, but he you know he goes to richmond he gets to kind of actually i take that back april 7th lincoln ends up in richmond mm -hmm. um you know five days before he's assassinated lee has surrendered um, you know, Sherman has completed his march to the sea. He's now in North Carolina. So for all purposes, the war is over for the most part. And Reconstruction um, is kind of the topic of his last speech as well. So that's kind of where we're at with the Civil War, leading into that. And then, Mary, you could take it from there if you want. Okay. Um, well, so on April 14th, 1865, Lincoln pretty well has um, like what would be a normal day. Um, he has a cabinet meeting in the morning and General Grant is in attendance at that cabinet meeting. They are at that time waiting to hear the terms of surrender um, with Sherman, who is trying to get Johnson who, down in down south. And they're waiting to hear from him. And so that night, Lincoln goes to the theater and we all know what happened. Booth. Um, assassinates him around, I believe it's around 10, 15 p.m. And on April 15th, 1865, at 7.22 in the morning, Abraham Lincoln passes away. And Stanton utters the words that we now know. Now he belongs to the ages. Yeah, and that's, uh, we, we have alluded to that in a couple different episodes. Um, there was a brief I guess I don't even say it's brief. I think there's still some historians that may cling to the idea that he may have said angels. Mm -hmm. um, but I think I like ages better, so I'm going with it. Yeah. Um, uh, we he... talked to Cornelius, too, and he said he agreed with us. Or you. On, I guess I agree with it, too. Yeah. 
Right, and he was, uh, yeah, he just had a lot more to back it up with. Um, yeah. Right, yeah. but um, <clears throat> there are so many different uh, elements to the assassination that are interesting yeah. and worth checking out. Um, why, in the manner, the manner in which Lincoln was guarded much of the time and how he wasn't guarded at all, really, that night, um, you know, the circumstance that led Booth to the decision um, to do it, Booth himself, um, the fact that it was um, really a coup in a way, or at least a, mm-hmm. a big conspiracy to overthrow mo- much of the government, um, is extremely important uh, and I think often overlooked that really, um, arguably, the only time in American history where there was a real legitimate attempt to overthrow the government in a way. They were trying to assassinate enough key figures uh, to really kind of unseat the government Mm -hmm. in a way. I mean, I don't know if I would formally call it a coup d'etat, but it was close. Um, One thing I think is extremely important to note and to really understand in the context of Abraham Lincoln is the fact, um, or at least the accepted fact by Lincoln historians, that the decision by Booth to assassinate Abraham Lincoln uh, was made while Lincoln was giving his last public mm-hmm. speech um, yeah. at the White House, um, very much a um, as close to a victory speech as he as he gave about the Civil War, mm-hmm. um, along with the second inaugural, which wasn't that far behind. Um, chronologically, um, about a month. Um, but Lincoln uh, extended the, or the he uh, indicated uh, that he was going to extend citizenship possibly uh, to African Americans and, and freed slaves, um, or at the very least, um, grant citizenship to uh, those who had fought for the Union um, and expressed his desire that southern states may extend the vote to literate black people. Um, So again, in 2017 eyes, this looks like a pretty racist thing to say, but in 1865 it was quite, quite revolutionary. Mm -hmm. But I think it is extremely vital to understanding Lincoln to, to know that when he talked about extending the right to vote to some black people, Booth uh, according to several accounts, turned to Lewis Powell, who was another one of the conspirators, mm-hmm. and said, that means N-word citizenship. Now, by God, I'll run him through. That is the last speech he will ever make. So it is very real and very accurate to say that Abraham Lincoln died for the cause of freedom, mm-hmm. not for somebody pissed off about states' rights or not because Booth was disgruntled about the Confederacy losing or really not even as a last-ditch effort to revive the Confederacy. All of those theories are out there, especially the last one. A lot of people try to float that theory that it was an attempt to try to rekindle the the war fire and get the war going again. Um, Certainly... A motivator certainly played a role in Booth's decision, but he made his mind up to assassinate Abraham Lincoln after Lincoln made comments about black people voting and said, by God, I'll put him through, which means, Mm -hmm. you know, is is the term for running a sword through someone. Um, And then, of course, when he followed up with that's the last speech he'll ever make, um, that's when he made that decision. I think that that's a key component of the assassination um, in order to understand exactly what Abraham Lincoln means for the cause of freedom uh, for the United States and certainly for for, uh, for black people too. And prior to that, it had just been a plot to kidnap Abraham Lincoln. And I think the plan was um, at some point for exchange of Confederate prisoners. Right, yeah, and I do think the seeds of the plot were like this this kind of, you know, pretty pretty out there plot to, to try yeah. to stoke the flames back up in the Confederacy, um, you know, and this <clears throat> kind of idea that didn't really go away, that the South was going to rise again somehow. Um, <clears throat> and uh, obviously, 
the, the plan changed, um, and um, it was still, I mean, an attempt at an overthrow when you were trying to assassinate. You know, the plan was to at least assassinate Lincoln, Vice President Johnson, and Secretary of State Seward. Mm-hmm. Um, so, pretty far-reaching and um, uh, involved plot that um, really came to fruition because of plans for franchisement for former slaves and black people in America. So Booth makes his mind up to um, assassinate Lincoln, and it was only three days later. Uh, that speech was on, I believe it was on April 11th, and then um, the opportunity arose for the, the plot to kind of come together on April 14th. Um, and Booth uh, noticed or found out that uh, Lincoln was going to see the play at Ford's Theater, Our American Cousin. And his original guest was going to be uh, Ulysses S. Grant, which is pretty pretty amazing that that, that could have happened where the two of them uh, could have been in the in the uh, box together mm-hmm. watching our American cousin. You know, and who knows what small events, you know, the, the old butterfly effect thing could have changed history. What, you know, what may have gone down differently had Grant been in the in the box with Lincoln or with the Lincolns, um, but he ended up uh, leaving because he wanted to, he was leaving Washington and wanted to kind of get a jump start on his travels. So, um, did, uh, so basically we have um, Lee, uh, Booth, and I think there's a lot sometimes, a lot of people kind of overplay the coincidence or that, you know, the fact that Booth found out that the Lincolns were coming to the play that night. Like, it really wasn't that. Um, shocking for people to know that Lincoln was coming to mm-hmm. see him out and about in Washington would not have been um, too out of the ordinary um, really for any president in those days I mean he he went for carriage rides he went for walks um, you know he accompanied his wife out frequently he was he was a big fan of the theater um, so it's not like now where if you even in Washington DC if you see the president you know it would be it would be pretty amazing. Uh, then, not so much. So, I do think that. Well, can... get back to that whole. Sorry, <laughs> was I too loud there? No, a little bit. <laughs> um, I apologize to all listeners. Speaking back to you know how accessible he was, and then just him going through Richmond, and how they kind of just brought mm-hmm. him over there, and then you know he gets just mobbed. Literally, gets mobbed by everybody. Um, you know, especially a, a lot of the, the, the slaves who were in Richmond, you know, I guess it would be ex-slaves at that moment, um, just because of what he did. And, you know, just kind of it's mind boggling to think about, especially with what we've grown up in, with, with our presidents always being surrounded. I mean, I mean, literally, the Secret Service was created, I think, that day for counterfeit money. Yeah. They you were. know, not even for like a protection of the president mm-hmm. um, that we have now. So. I mean, he would go out for walks just by himself, you know, in the evenings. So it's, or, you know, on carriage rides with with so little security. It's kind of almost amazing that, in a sense, he was kind of the the first president that that suffered this fate, kind of, when you think about it. Or maybe that just says something about our society that that I think that um, now. But um, it, it really is remarkable because when he's just in Richmond alone, all it would have taken is one upset Confederate. Mm-hmm. to shoot a shot from a window to take him out, which they could have easily have done probably at that time. Just to think how vulnerable he was there. Um, it's just crazy to me, yeah. especially the age we live in now. And Stanton, you know, was back in Washington, obviously, at that time. I think he did send Lincoln a couple telegrams basically saying, like, don't yeah. walk through Richmond, be careful. Um, you know, but Lincoln, I think, wanted to he wanted to see the Capitol for himself. And I think he also liked to be accessible to the people as well. Um, And then there's also the story of one summer night, I think it was in 1864 where he was riding back to the, to the cottage and like there was a shot and it went through his hat and they don't know if it was an actual assassination attempt or not, but you know, still like he, I think he'd had a few, close calls but he still insisted on you know going out like that 
and, and I think it was important for him to see the Richmond moment. I mean, yeah. and personally, I'm glad that he did. You know, I had a couple of images that come to my mind when I was thinking about the end of his life. And the fact that he was able to walk those streets mm-hmm. to see the actual impact that he had on individuals had to be rewarding. It's something he deserves for everything he went through um, in his time in office there. Um, you know, I, it makes me feel good that he had that moment to see the positive impact, even if it was maybe, you know, just for that night or that day um, that, that he got that. So kind of a way, you know, some closure at least from the Civil War and everything he'd been through mentally, heck, physically, um, during all that, it makes me feel good that he got that. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And there's actually a really um, good book out there um, by Noah Andre Trudeau called 16 Days, which is about the time that Lincoln spent with Grant. And that includes the time at Richmond. And it argues about how that, you know, just like, you know, you said it probably felt really good for him to see that, to see what he had done. And they say that in some ways that that time did change him as a person. We'll unfortunately never know how much, um, but it's one of those history what ifs. And the book is, it's, I highly recommend it to any of our listeners to to read. Yeah, it's a it's a fascinating um, two weeks uh, for sure, especially just thinking about it, it from a historic con- context. Um, the any president or any head of state or leader, you know, he went to um, the this Confederate White House and went into Jefferson Davis's office and sat at his desk. I mean, just think about mm-hmm. that. Like, can you imagine any president, you know, um, like Franklin Roosevelt sitting in Hitler's office or Mussolini's office or, you know, um, or just, you know, any, it's just so like such um an indication of the closeness of the two sides in the civil war, both geographically. I mean, obviously Richmond was, I mean, essentially right down the road or is right down the road from Washington, mm-hmm. DC. Um, but also, uh, just how parallel their lives were. Um, and there's actually, um, I actually read a, actually part of Swanson's book is about the parallel lives that, um, Lincoln and Davis kind of had, they both lost children. They were both, um, kind of self-made people, you know, and, uh, they both had some, uh, <clears throat> exposure to, to warfare, uh, Jefferson Davis a lot more in the Mexican American war, but, um, they were similar they had a lot of similarities in their life. Uh, but just, just that scene, just to see, just to think of Lincoln sitting mm-hmm. in the chair at the desk of Jefferson Davis is just, just fascinating. Um, to me, especially, um, it wasn't like it was a green zone. You know, it's not like there was a bunch of uh, army rangers that swept the city and made sure there were no no hostels or anything. You know, um, pretty daring, pretty daring. Um, and I think at the time, historically, obviously, we put a lot of value into him, but I think at the time, it was it was for him. It was kind of his victory lap in a way. Yeah. Um, not that he was a proud man by any means, but. Um, I think that was kind of the beginning of the healing process that he talked about in the second inaugural. Um, so, I mean, that in, in that being so close to the assassination, uh, to kind of bring us back to that, um, the um, idea behind the conspiracy was to take out four key figures in the administration, uh, one of which being Grant, um, and that obviously that assassination attempt was thwarted just by Grant leaving town. Um, and then uh, there was an assassination attempt planned for Vice President Andrew Johnson um, by uh, Azerot was that conspirator's name. He got cold feet and decided not to go through with it. Um, and then there was the very thank inf- God for liquor there. Yeah, he yeah, he got a little got a little <laughs> boozy. Yeah, he got a little boozy uh, and decided not to do it. Um, which and keep in mind, they're the I can't even remember what number the amendment is, but the amendment for presidential succession was not in place yet. So there was not because right now there's a there is an amendment to the Constitution that says very definitively that the vice president, um, the vice president becomes president, and if 
the vice president and the president die at the same time, then it would go to the Speaker of the House, and then the President pro tem of the Senate, then the Secretary of State, and then um, it goes through a subsequent every subsequent cabinet position, and that's the line of succession. There really wasn't one at the time, so it really would have thrown, you know, if if Lincoln and Johnson had both been assassinated, um, it really would have been quite chaotic trying to decide who the president was. Um, so uh, that the, the fact that that was part of the plan, it probably would have worked for, as far as just at least disrupting the government. However, uh, Johnson was fine. Uh, Seward, though, did have a very, very violent attack. Um, and poor Seward kind of becomes the forgotten figure sometimes in, in this era uh, because he wasn't a general and because he never um, made it to the presidency. Um, but his son kind of took the brunt of the attack and then kind of ended up saving uh, Seward um, from a very vicious attack um, without, there wasn't firearms involved. So, um, and he ended up uh, close to death, but, but pulled through. Um, so that's a very well, intriguing piece of his life, his biography. And he was already laid up because of a carriage accident. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is so. one of the which is one of the reasons why Lincoln came back from Richmond uh, and visiting Grant. I think was to see Seward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's probably that accident that actually helped save his life. I believe because mm -hmm. of and then and then you also had a body. I mean, there's like what Frederick really gets it bad, like to the point where they didn't think Frederick was going to live. Yeah. Um, Frederick would be then, Seward's son. Yep. And then you had the daughter, too, um, who was also there. And then another bodyguard, George Robinson, also um, got hurt during the attack. Yep. Um, and I believe one of his other sons, too, actually, um, got in the way of Lewis Powell, too, at that time. So very vicious, definitely, on that one, as far as, you know, um, because I, he basically stabbed them um, with a knife. And, you know, Swanson does a great job kind of describing how bloody the scene was um, in the book. So it just had to be chaos. Like in my notes here, I'm just writing like that night had to be just absolute chaos because news doesn't travel that fast like it does now. Chaos is just confusion on the streets. I mean, basically you had like a mob mentality um, going on in the streets of D.C. at that time. And then, you know, there was rumors who died, who didn't die um, and who's all being attacked. You know, Stanton doesn't know what's going on. He's trying to take a hold. He's the guy who takes a hold of the whole situation basically sets up, you know, an, an office um, in the house that they moved Lincoln to. So, I mean, I can't imagine the chaos that there was at that time. I mean, it had to be like the news story of its day. I mean, there's no way it couldn't have been. Yeah. Right. And I think you make a great point about Stanton. And I think this is where his legacy to me gets solidified because he really emerges, uh, you know, as the leader. I mean, Johnson – what you know one was had just you know he didn't really know it but had potentially would you know an assassination attempt on him didn't really know anybody i mean he is he had been vice president for all of a month um and you know wasn't in a position just to come in and take take any sort of authority um stanton really steps in not out of any place of hubris or pride but just uh just kind of took care of took care of business you know and made sure that um, people started looking for the assassins, you know, they, I mean, they fairly quickly, and this is all, you know, not to keep talking about Swanson's book, but this is all very well told in that book where, you know, they, they set up a perimeter around Washington, D.C. because he knew that the conspirators would be leaving town and set that up very quickly um, and almost trapped them all in the town and uh, in town in Washington, D.C., um, but his, uh, his work, um, both kind of coordinating the, uh, care for Lincoln, making sure people knew getting Robert Todd in there. I mean, he wasn't very great to marry Todd Lincoln, but, um, I think is very indicative and I think kind of seals, uh, my admiration for him as a figure in this time period. Um, one of the, you know, regrettable side effects to that was this conspiracy theory around him organizing the whole thing, which is absolutely absurd. And there's very, yes. very, very, very <laughs> scant evidence that would mm -hmm. prove anything close to that, you know, to prove that conspiracy theory. But yet people are still trying to put it out there. Um, just to kind of talk a little bit about the mess that it could have caused, uh, I did look it up real quick. 
it's the 25th Amendment uh, to the Constitution that set up the succession for the presidency, um, which uh, is an interesting thing to note because that was adopted in February of 1967. Uh, so we've actually had zero presidents assassinated um, since the adoption of the, the you know formalized uh, line of succession for the presidency. Um, and I think we've just had one leave office, right? Um, just just Richard Nixon. Yeah. I don't think yeah. anyone else um, left office to enact the 25th Amendment. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, certainly if uh, the president, vice president, and secretary of state had um, had died in the attack, who knows you know, who would have ended up president. I would I would guess Seward, but he would, you know, or no, but if, if he had also died, I don't know. Stanton, would Stanton probably have tried to grab it? I doubt they would have gone to the Speaker of the House, even though yep. 100 years later, that's what the amendment would have would have supported. So mm-hmm. would it have gone to Schuyler Colfax? I don't know. Um, but interesting uh, to think about. The whole succession thing is kind of interesting because when Harrison dies, I mean, that's kind of John Taylor, Tyler's legacy is he, he just assumes control and basically just does it. Like they never, mm-hmm. there was nothing even thought about that beforehand. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, he kind of just, started doing the duties and just kind of stayed with it. And then that kind of just set this, you know, um, president that that's how it was going to work. And then, you know, and then Zachary Taylor, we all know who took over after him. Um, <laughs> and then I guess say that clown's name, but oh, you know, come on. <laughs> I, 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 you know, and I do think that that's, there's something to be said for, like, the lack of security. There weren't, to my knowledge, and I may be way off on this, and please tweet at us if I am, but I don't even think there was a real bona fide assassination attempt on any president before Abraham Lincoln. Um, I think part of it's probably a symptom of just the office of the president for really everyone up to Lincoln, with the exception of Andrew Jackson, um, George Washington, and Thomas Jefferson really wasn't much. There wasn't a whole lot of power behind the office of the president. The checks and balances tended to work out where um, the president just, you know, it was a a big, long series of one-termers that really didn't didn't have a whole lot of power, authority, or sway, um, arguably. Um, You can maybe throw Polk in there, I suppose, because there was, you know, he was a wartime president. Um, maybe another and one. a killer moment. And a killer moment, yeah. You know, maybe another one here or there. But, um, you know, it may not have been something that was that thought of because murdering the president back in those days may not have really made a whole lot of change. Um, there is some theory out there, which I think they've debunked, that um, was it Zachary Taylor was poisoned? I think it was, yeah, that, yeah, yes. that yeah. he was poisoned, yeah. and uh, by a, you know somebody infiltrated the White House kitchen or something, um, and poisoned him. But then I think there's also a pretty widely regarded theory that um, he wasn't poisoned, but he may have died from poisoning because the water at the White House for the, the entirety of the 19th century was so. Uh, infested with parasites and mm-hmm. stuff like that that everyone at the white house was poisoned for for a number of years uh because that's what happens when you build a city in a swamp i guess so and i believe a lot of other deaths of people related to the presidencies over the time are connected to some of that too some of the different deaths i've seen yeah i believe so yep yep i so, could have dreamed that possibly Possibly. Um, so uh, to bring us back to the topic at hand, um, the um, the play was at Ford's Theater. Uh, Abraham Lincoln was in kind of the box seats, I guess, reserved for him with a picture of George Washington on the outside. Um, enjoying the play, Our American Cousin. Uh, the plot, if you're wondering, behind... The play, as I understand it, is it takes place in England, and there's kind of like a an American, their American cousin comes over and is kind of a rough-spoken, kind of hayseed kind of character, and um, hilarity ensues, I guess. 
Um, I don't think it was a very popular play, although it is now pretty well known uh, because of what happened um, at the um, playhouse that night. Um, it is um, very common, I guess there was common in those days, for plays to come often, so Booth was familiar with the play, uh, had seen it several times, was um, aware of it, and then knew that the last, you know, he timed his, his assassination attempt to coincide with a laugh line um, so that he could kind of sneak into the box area. I keep wanting to call it a booth, um, but that's his name. It's a box. Um, to sneak into the box to, um, to assassinate the president. Um, so, um, the, the line everybody, you know, knows is the sectologizing old man trap, um, was the laugh line. Uh, and that's when that's the, arguably or possibly the last thing that Lincoln heard, um, after Booth used the Derringer pistol, um, to, uh, fire one round into the back of the president's head. Uh, he wrestled a little bit with Major Rathbone, and I do want to talk about Major Rathbone uh, toward the end of the show. Uh, but wrestled a little bit with Major Rathbone and then ended up jumping off of the, um, out of the box seats, um, down onto the stage. Um, and famously his uh, boot spur caught on the flag and ripped the flag and caused him to have a messy landing and break his leg. Um, and then he um, yelled the Virginia State slogan, Six Semper Tyrannis, um, the South is avenged, and ran off the stage. Um, Sic Semper Tyrannis is Latin, and I believe it means uh, death to tyrants or something like, you know, yeah, something yeah. like that. So, yeah. um, and then the South is avenged. So uh, that, I think, also kind of led to a lot of the theories like this was, and it was. I mean, it certainly was about the, the war. There's no question about that. But, um, you know, the, the, the decision was made when he was talking about citizenship. Yep. So well, another, um, go ahead. Another thing that I found kind of fascinating is that, uh, like, Stanton, like, had them, like, had all the actors redo the play. Mm-hmm. And, and then that, that had to be crazy, like, being told that you just witnessed this, and then they were, like, forced to come on stage to go through it, because he was trying to find, like, any clue, um, you know, th- to figure out the stuff. Yeah. To me, I just found that kind of bizarre, fascinating that had to be like the hardest thing in the world to do if you were cast in that play. Um, and, and another note too is in case some of our listeners didn't know, you know, Booth was well known at the theater. That's why he had such easy access to it um, because of obviously his family and the fact that he was well known for his plays and everything. I mean, he, kind of, he was like a celebrity. So not only did he assassinate Lincoln, it's a celebrity doing that. Make it just like even a crazier news story than that. Mm-hmm. Then you have a 12-day chase where you don't know where he's at. I mean, it's the news story of the century, man. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, the The famous last line is, uh, don't know the manners of good society, eh? Well, I guess I know enough to turn you inside out, old gal, you sockdologizing old man trap. <laughs> uh, which apparently is, you know... <laughs> Uh, 19th century way of you know making a joke but um and then you know and he also i believe is the only actor on this on stage uh when he says that the actor's yeah. name was uh harry hawk it was about mm-hmm. 10 15 p.m when he delivered uh the line and then one shot uh rang out and uh the president um didn't die uh, was brought across the street as we talked about earlier uh to the peterson house um, and interestingly, of all the, you know, we talked about the, the flower from the funeral train. I, I feel like the artifacts from the assassination are like the most intact um, artifacts associated with Lincoln of all of them. Yeah. Like, um, to my knowledge, there's not a whole lot of like pens that he used or clothing that he wore. Um, his possessions are usually very... Um, small you know like just things he had in his office and you know you go through the lincoln museum and it's really they got some really great stuff in the collection but it's usually you know not very consequential things like now when you see presidents sign really almost any legislation they're handing pens out as souvenirs so like there's a 
there's a track for those artifacts that probably in the legislators who get them and the dignitaries who get them in their family. Um, but you know, anything belonging to a president now is cataloged and put into some sort of collection. Mm-hmm. Well, they just didn't do that then. But oddly with the assassination, it seems like everything became, um, a, an artifact, you know, his gloves, I've seen the gloves that he had, mm-hmm. which are stained with his blood. Um, I've seen uh, the hat that he had that night, the uh, contents of his pockets. I've seen the bed that um, was uh, that he died in, uh, which is a really, really eerie thing. Um, We've talked on the show about the chair that he was sitting in, which still has his blood on it, which is just uh, a very cathartic thing to to see and to experience. Um, The carriage that he rode in, uh, is has survived um, so there's the the gun itself um, is believed to have survived uh, and they mm-hmm. have that as well in a museum uh, the Darren is it that one they displayed his casket on at the White House hasn't that been used for like every president who has you know what I'm talking about or am I crazy oh I don't know, I oh, don't it's, know a, it's in the ca- it's in the capital I think Nick um, that that I can't pronounce the word that it is but I think it's in the capital. And every president who's died in office has used a sense, I believe. Yes. Oh. Yeah, Kennedy yeah. Was, yeah, Kennedy was on there. Um, and, yeah, any other president that has died. Like the um, dais or there. like the, the... I don't know. Okay. Like the thing like the casket sits on, I think, yeah, right? I, I, okay. it starts, I think it starts with a C. Is it the Cortez? That's not it, is it? I feel like no, that's a word. I, that's a I word, think, right? I think it's in the capital. Sockdologizing. Um, no, that's a different thing. Um, a couch? No, no, I wouldn't see it. <laughs> My vocab's pretty limited. If it gets yeah. over seven letters, I'm out of it. <laughs> no, a cortege is a funeral procession, not what we're talking about. A dais, um, that's like a podium. Oh, All right, vocab yeah. nerds, send us a tweet. <laughs> um, so other uh one other thing i'd I'd like to talk about um before we kind of wrap up and i know we're kind of all over the place and we will have a little bit more of a focused uh, conversation about the conspirators themselves uh and their lives next week um and if we have time we will also like to answer some of your questions uh, out in rail splitter nation uh, about the assassination itself Um, i do think it is um it is interesting or important, um, at least just kind of from a history geek standpoint, to talk a little bit about uh, Major Henry Rathbone, who was the um, the other person. Of the uh, he and his fiance Clara Harris were the other two people in the booth that night. Um, which I, you know, in a way, think it's kind of neat that it wasn't wasn't the Grants, you know that. How many people just happen to be in Lincoln's sphere or circle where, you know, you think of all of the generals that we, we know about and talk about um, and brigadier generals and, you know, all the different ranks and there's the entire Navy and admirals and all that other stuff. And he ended up going with a, a major who was on terms enough with him to at least get an invite to, you know, obviously there's a last minute invite, but to get an invite to, um, to the play and to accompany the Lincoln. So they rode to the, well, he was like 20th option, wasn't he? I mean, oh, he had to be, I, I would have, yeah, I mean, they went through like a gazillion people. It's kind of like, ah, oh, all right, fine. We'll invite you. Yeah. It's probably not that bad. No, it, <laughs> it, it, it was, I'm, and I'm sure it wasn't Lincoln. I'm sure it was probably Nicolay, maybe Hay that probably, arranged the uh, the whole thing. So in the booth, he did uh, suffer quite a severe cut um, from a dagger that Booth had and still survives. That is also another artifact from the incident that is around. Uh, but Booth uh, had a dagger that he had also taken out after he had shot the Derringer and slashed Rathbone's left arm um, from his elbow to his shoulder, um, which was a pretty big wound and a lot of people think a lot of the blood on the chair may actually have been Rathbones because uh, it bled quite a bit. Um, so he kind of fought off Booth in a way um, so that no one else was harmed other than him. Uh, and then he actually escorted Mary Lincoln over to the Peterson house uh, despite uh, bleeding quite badly. Um, and then um, Rathbone kind of had his, was escorted out and had his, um, wounds taken care of his later life though uh is yeah. really really what's 
pretty fascinating, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, he was fairly successful, um, afterward. I mean, obviously he became, uh, famous. Um, he had, uh, he did, he did end up marrying Clara Harris. They married a little over two years later. Uh, they had, they had three kids, one of them who actually ended up in Congress, um, stayed in the army for another five years, uh, rising up to Colonel, um, and the whole time he probably had what we would now call PTSD, uh, but then they just kind of called, you know, mental illness, insanity, madness, whatever you want to call it. Um, but uh, your your buddy, Nick, your good friend Chester A. Arthur, uh, appointed Rathbone to uh, be a, an ambassador in 1882 um, to the province of Hanover, um, which was kind of like part of what is now Germany, you know, back, back then the map of Europe tended to <laughs> kind of adapt quite a bit before. Um, uh, but it was part of actually formerly part of Prussia, um, back in 1882. So, you know, he traveled to Europe and was, was an ambassador appointed by the president of the United States. So, you know, that's a fairly, um, important role. Um, but about a year later, a little over a year later, he attacked his children in a fit of madness uh, as they say, and um, shot and shot and stabbed Clara Harris, who was trying to protect the kids. Um, and then he stabbed himself five times in the chest. Um, didn't didn't die. So that would be the sixth, I guess, stabbing that stab wound that uh, Rathbone survived. So really, really tragic story. He killed his wife, tried to kill his kids. Um, was one of the early early times where someone was charged with murder but declared insane so um wasn't actually convicted um it not you know not in the same way anyway and he went to an asylum for the for the insane in germany um and that's where he died in 1911 um he is buried next to which is crazy but he's buried next to clara harris um in germany uh in hanover um next to it's one of the rare times, I would guess, where a murderer is buried next to his victim. Um, but it's that is a really another dark angle to the assassination mm -hmm. story that I just find fascinating. That um, you know, you kind of see that wax figure in the Lincoln Museum sitting next to the Lincolns, and it's yeah, who's that guy? You know, the guy with the mustache, and you know, whatever. And um, it turns out that his story is is pretty pretty fascinating mm -hmm. yeah. um and who knows what um living with that trauma from watching the most important american arguably of all time um, be assassinated and living with the guilt of possibly being able to intervene um and then having no mental health care whatsoever back in those days or very very little um and ended up uh with such a tragic um tragic story so very 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 interesting uh, but his son yeah his son was a congressman from the state of illinois um for five years which is and that's so that's well after uh the assassination attempt and the uh his mother's death so um he made good and um became a congressman became a congressman so yeah, well, we can branch this off even further because, you know, Major General Sickles is the first, uh, like, person to get off for insanity. He was a general during for the Union Civil War, and he used an insanity plea to get off a murder of his wife before the Civil War. So, yeah, and he like essentially shamelessly murdered someone. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I did it. And yeah, I think I don't know if I don't know if there was a whole lot of psychiatry in that trial as much no. as like everybody loves dan and dan's wife was having an affair so dan killed the guy and everybody's like yeah all right well these things happen did you, you know did you guys know who the lawyer was stanton wasn't he yes <laughs> yeah. of course yeah, that's, you know, that's and, wild and it all comes yeah. full circle so yeah. all right well we are kind of uh getting a little bit close to time and we definitely wanted to leave some time for any uh last thoughts on the assassination um we don't we definitely left a lot of stones unturned uh so we will revisit quite a lot of those um talking about the conspiracy the conspirators their subsequent trials 
um, all of that kind of stuff um, as we do our second assassination episode next week. Um, and then also down the road, we'll do uh, several more um, funeral train, search for Jefferson Davis, search for John Wilkes Booth, uh, John Wilkes Booth's life, death, all that kind of stuff. Um, any other um, kind of as uh, a last I, last thought here, um, things that kind of you found interesting about the assassination when you were reading up on it, uh, Mary or Nick? Um, well, the, the one thing for me was that, and I'm sure we'll touch on this in the episode that we do about finding Booth, but the man that led the cavalry that found Booth, not the man who ended up shooting Booth, but the man that led the cavalry was, his name was Edward Doherty. He is a Canadian. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yep. And he's buried in Arlington Cemetery. And that um, was when I found that out, that's very fascinating for me at being a Canadian, obviously, but just like, oh, there's a Canadian connection there to it. Yeah, very cool. To me, it was, uh, I don't know, I had a collection of images kind of of like Lincoln's last week there. You know, I kind of talked about the Richmond one. Probably my favorite image, like I was imagining in my head, is when he's giving that speech on the 11th. You know, he's speaking pretty much from, he is speaking from the White House, mm-hmm. I believe, the window above the North Door. Yep. And it was dark, so um, somebody had to hold the candle um, for him to read. And as he's going through peace, he's just kind of dropping it. And, and Tad's there just kind of scrambling, picking it up. And to me, you know, we kind of already talked about him kind of, um, you know, kind of stating the fact that he's looking to um, increase, you know, the right to vote um, to blacks. That's kind of the message in that. Tad picking it up. The fact that Lincoln is just letting Tad be there kind of just shows how humble he was that he wasn't, you know. I, I think it just really just that image I have of him giving a speech. With Tad there, having somebody just do it by candlelight is a great image mm-hmm. um, that I kind of hold on to and have there. And then also, if you look at a lot of stuff, him and Mary seem to have a very good night as well that evening. Yes. Um, yeah. Getting along, you know, kind of almost like snuggling up in the booth um, in a sense, you know. Mm-hmm. So I felt, to me, I like to think that he finally had some relief to stuff. And it, he saw us at a time that he could start the family back together yeah. um, after everything that they've been through that she had been through that he had been through and then unfortunately the last image is just kind of him laying diagonal on that bed you know um because he was too tall for the bed and he couldn't get rid of the headboard because if they did that um you know the bed was going to collapse and just kind of it kind of to me it symbolizes you know kind of the fact that it's kind of his humble roots where he came from that um you know, those are just kind of the images that I left with when I think back to the assassination and I kept thinking about over the week, kind of preparing for this episode. The one image, too, that comes to my mind, it's not, it's a little bit far flung from the assassination, but Lincoln coming back, you know, the reason he came back from visiting General Rand was because of Seward and the image of him, you know, he actually laid down next to Seward in bed to talk to him and, yeah. you know, to say, I've been to Richmond. I've been to the Capitol. I sat in Jeff Davis's chair and he's just, he knows the end of the struggle for the country is over. And there's, I just think in that moment, he had so much hope and he's sharing it with Seward, you know, and just, he's thinking we're able to move forward now, finally, and get the country back together. And you think about that moment, how far they've come and their relationship. You know, being, you know, the two that were kind of the top two on a ticket in 1860 mm-hmm. and being rivals to being to that point where he's literally laying side by side with him yeah. as he's critically injured. That's a cool. That's very cool. Image. Right. I, I think those are all very, very well made points um, about that last week or last two weeks of his life. Um, I always kind of uh, am interested with how stories are told and um how they've kind of how they change over time and i do find it uh, fascinating how uh, john wilkes booth is or was portrayed in a lot of different media mm-hmm. um like the um banners or whatever for ford's theater you know how, like when you're in 
cities where they have like exhibits or whatever at museums or, or historic places they'll have banners on street posts and things um the banners for ford's theater at least used to have abraham lincoln and john wilkes booth on them which is just so strange yeah. um to have a murderer you know on that kind of thing and you know the fascination with him you know to 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 go to Dallas and, you know, if you were to see images of Lee Harvey Oswald would be <laughs> pretty shocking and probably mm. offensive. Right. But, but for some reason, Booth is not that way, you know, for some reason, you know, he's romanticized in a way, um, which, uh, bothers me, but I do think that it's getting better. Um, uh, if you listen to mm. our episode with Dr. Cornelius, I kind of put my foot in my mouth a little bit when I was like, I can't believe that there's a figure of, of Booth, there's a, there's two figures of Booth in the museum, and actually one of them has been removed, um, because what it used to be when you walked into the museum, there would be a uh, a figure of Booth standing outside the White House, which was just really eerie, um, mm-hmm. and his nameplate is still there in the marble on the floor, uh, but his um, you know you had Frederick Douglass and Sojourner Truth and Grant and McClellan and Booth, <laughs> it was not not cool. Uh, that has been removed. Um, which I think is a good thing, but I, I, I do I do find it interesting how that story is told. And I also find it interesting to think that somewhere in the storage rooms for the museum stands that figure. <laughs> so I wonder if anybody going through there ever just takes the blanket off that and gets gets scared. But because they are but pretty, that, they're pretty lifelike. That's kind of a symbol of how a lot of the Civil War is covered in our country, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. With the whole lost cause, and mm-hmm. you know how, just how some of the different topics have been covered, which we've talked about on this show many times, mm-hmm. and it's just, it's crazy that like the stuff that people believe in regards to the Civil War, and and how social media, different avenues have just helped made that myth become almost, you know, bigger and bigger each yeah. year here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. Uh, so next week on the show, uh, we are actually going to have a guest. Uh, he has been a guest lecturer at the Lincoln Museum, and he is a specialist on the conspirators themselves. Uh, he goes by the Twitter handle of Boothy Barn, uh, and his name is Dave Taylor. So we're very excited to have him on the show next week. Uh, that'll be a little bit more of a focus show. We'll talk a lot about the conspirators. And then if you have any questions at all about the assassination please uh send them to our twitter or put them on the facebook group um again we're on twitter we're at rail splitter pod uh, that's also our handle on instagram and please join the facebook group the facebook group is growing i we get you know four or five members a week um coming in on that and there's some really good lincoln stuff uh that, that floats around um that group and it's really really been exciting and it helps us because you guys are really good about giving us episode ideas and talking about different things. So I've learned a lot from that Facebook group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No it's, joke. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's great. And, um, and Twitter too. So, um, tweet, tweet some questions to us about the assassination and, and hopefully we'll get to them. But selfishly, my questions are all about the conspirators themselves. And I kind of want to get into that a little bit, um, mm-hmm. as well. Um, and we do have some future episodes about the assassination coming you know, that we'll do down the road as well. Um, sometimes, you know, we do like to talk about movies here and there. We might actually kind of do a kind of a commentary track review of The Conspirator, which was a movie that's fairly, fairly recent about the assassination um, with a pretty, pretty darn good performance by Robin Wright um, and the least accurate physical portrayal of Stanton. That, that bothered me so much. He doesn't even have hair on his chin at all. What? No, yeah, it's Kevin Klein. It's the worst. Like, the whole, it was one of the first movies from a production company whose sole purpose was to make historically accurate movies. And and they made a very historically accurate movie other than, uh, yeah, he's, uh, Seward, not Seward, uh, Stanton, uh, like, is a fairly fit, well, clean shaven Kevin Klein. Nope. Nope. Didn't like that at all. Dude, Stanton was like the leader of the Beard Army for mm-hmm. the Union. Yeah. Was. Like, okay, so like, you know how Did there's you like... Did you tweet the, that out, man? What's that? Pardon? 
Did you tweet out something like that, that he was the leader of the Beard Army? I might have, yeah, or might have retweeted something about that. I've I didn't want to steal somebody's thing. So I've tweeted a little bit about Stanton lately because I'm reading the biography about him. Um, but if you think about it, the facial hair was fashionable, right, for for most of the Civil mm-hmm. War. But his was so long. He had he he was like, he had to be a hipster. He had to be like, yeah, I started this beard before it was cool, clearly, because it's down in the middle of my belly. Yeah, so. <laughs> that's funny. When I hear hipster, I usually think Stanton is the first thing that pops in my head. Yeah, that's that's who I think of He's too. Like, I had this beard before it was cool. Hipster Stanton. That's right. That's right. Make that meme, everybody. Okay. All right. So uh, we will get to this week in Lincoln. Uh, I'm actually going to bring it this week, if that's all right with you all. Yeah. Um, and by me, I mean our friend Chris, uh, who's a friend of the show, uh, sent a text to uh, our our friends kind of group chat uh, with the this week in Lincoln idea. And it was, yeah, that goes off in my pocket as I'm teaching during the day. And then I always pull it out. Let the kids know, look at all these other educators. As I'm trying to teach all of you. I'm just throwing that out there, but we were talking about Lincoln, so it's okay. Yeah, uh, I know. So gonna... somehow I did not know this. Um, the, the, the band starship, um, who, by the way, Jefferson Airplane was a great band of the 1960s. White Rabbit is one of my favorite songs, of you know ever. It's just they were they were awesome. Grace Slick, amazing. Somehow she ended up in this. They they morphed into this, you know, Jefferson Starship for a while, and then just Starship. Uh, they have a song that you're probably all familiar with, and hopefully you all dislike because it's not good. Um, called "We Built This City" uh, on rock and roll, and uh, apologies. Yeah. It's now in everybody's head, as it's been in mine for like three days. Um, I never got a chance to see the video until our buddy Chris sent it to us. In the video, uh, the Lincoln Memorial comes to life, and they sing to and with Abraham Lincoln about building a city out of rock and roll. Uh, it's, <clears throat> it's the late 80s, and it's tragic. But it is a great example of Lincoln showing up in pop culture for no good reason. And that's what makes a great This Week in Lincoln. Anytime we see him, the most eloquent speaker of his day, the most accomplished politician, emancipator, human rights activist, dancing to an 80s tune and singing just like that. So enjoy that. Um, if you put it on mute, I think you're probably a wiser person than I am. Uh, maybe it's better that way. But uh, thank you, uh, Chris, Third Degree Burns, for uh, supplying our This Week in Lincoln. Really looking forward to next week where we're going to talk a little bit more about the assassination and when we will have uh, Dave Taylor on as our guest. So please stay tuned for that. Um, send us your questions to the Facebook group if you just do a search for the Rail Splitter, um, or you can send any one of us a message on Facebook and we can point you to it. We are also at Rail Splitter Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Please take some time to give us a rating and a review on iTunes. That really helps us get listeners, and we really appreciate that. Uh, we haven't had a, had any in a while, so it would be nice to get some ratings and reviews. And uh, thank you all for listening. We really appreciate it. Uh, Next week, we'll be back with more assassination. And until then, keep walking the world with malice toward none and charity for all. And we will see you next week.